this morning I have the privilege of starting a new series that I am really, really excited about. Uh, In this series, we are going to spend a little bit of time getting to know one of the coolest and craziest characters in the Old Testament. Ah, and woo! The things God chose to do through this guy will have us scratching our heads and asking at least one time if the Bible does not rightfully belong in the fiction section of the library. Uh, The things we are going to see in the story of this man will have us asking questions. Man, what might God possibly wants to do in and through our lives if we ourselves are radically abandoned to him. What miraculous things might he want to do in and through us? Because here's the thing I've noticed after a number of years. Um, Easter Sunday comes around each year and uh, we, the church folk, we dress real pretty and we take really cool pictures in really fancy um, photo booths and we shout about how Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and we will make this massive deal about the greatest miracle in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We might even consider inviting people to come and hear the story of the life-altering resurrection of Jesus from the dead on Easter. But then Monday rolls around and uh, something very, very funky happens, and we go back to believing a really tame and really manageable and very powerless version of our faith, right? On on Easter Sunday, we acknowledge that our faith is built on, the foundation of our faith rests on a miraculous event. But then Monday rolls around and we're back to dressing down and, you know, dressing down our expectations, right? It's almost as if it's like, no, miracles are fine for the resurrection, but um, we can't expect them to be part of our resurrected Life. So we're going to get to know this Old Testament character named uh, Elisha, a messenger on a mission from God. And uh, man, I reread uh, his story a, a number of months ago, and I was struck over and over again by how much of his life was marked by the miraculous. And it just made me ask some questions, questions such as. Why him and not us? Questions like, why then and not now? Questions like, did heaven retire from the business of miracles a few thousand years ago? Questions like, is it okay to ask for them? Is it okay to dare expect the miraculous? And I was like, ah, let me just drag everybody into it and let's ask these questions Together, as we get to know this character named Elisha. Um, so this morning, we're going to take some time to just uh, get introduced, to get some of the, the background context to uh, this man's life. And I just want to start by saying the events we're about to look at are not based on, they are actual 
real events that took place in time and space and history. About 900 years before Jesus Christ left heaven for a barn in Bethlehem. In the nation of Israel. In fact, these events took place in about the same 40-mile radius in which Jesus lived and walked and served. Uh, These events, they took place during one of the darkest eras in Israel's spiritual history. Um, God's chosen people, the the Israelites, well, their their leaders um, would constantly make alliances with uh, foreign kings. And those foreign kings worshipped foreign gods. And so as their relationships developed, the kings of Israel started to adopt affection for and allegiance to these foreign gods. But they didn't just worship these foreign gods. They started to force God's people, the Israelites, to worship these foreign gods as well, and at the top of the list of these foreign gods was a god by the name of Baal. Uh, Baal was considered uh, the god of rain and the god of fertility, the god who apparently rode on the clouds and was responsible for the, the weather system and was responsible to determine people's offspring. So, in droves. Uh, the, the people of God, uh, the Israelites, abandoned the God who called them and rescued them from slavery. And they started to follow Baal. Which kind of made a little bit of sense because in an agricultural um, community like theirs, you obviously wanted to be in good with whoever made the decisions about sending rain on your crops so you could live and make money and sustain the well-being of your family. In a context that was big on family and legacy, you wanted to be in good with a God who apparently was responsible for your fertility and deciding how many kids you ended up Having. And so they started to follow after Baal. But the worship of Baal was costly. Man, Baal demanded blood. He insisted that the people who worshipped him uh, apparently would have to mutilate themselves. And interestingly, for the god of fertility, he would demand that they sacrificed their children to keep him happy. But in exchange, they got money, and they got family, and they got sex, and that was a deal they entered into with this foreign god named Baal. Just in case you thought the mistreatment of vulnerable lives was a new thing. Oh, and just in case you thought that the worship of the economy, the worship of money, and and the worship of my family's calendar and priorities, and the legacy that I get to leave behind was a new thing. Nope. The darkest days in Israel's history were days in which they bowed down to whatever God guaranteed their financial security and their pleasure and their family's well-being and legacy, regardless of what God had said about any of those things. So, God in his mercy, instead of sending judgment and instead of sending punishment on his people, he he sent them um, a special messenger. 
uh, a messenger called a, a prophet, uh, a prophet, and I will put some of this up on the screen so you can see it. A prophet uh, was simply uh, someone called to represent God by calling his people to repent from their rebellion and return to him, to their God. Um, and the prophet that God sent to his people in this spiritually dark time was a man by the name of Elijah. Not Elisha. We're not there yet. He sent a man named Elijah. Uh, Elijah considered the GOAT, the greatest of all prophets. Um, this guy was the man. In fact, when you think about the office of the prophet in the Bible, Elijah became the representative of the prophetic office. And so for years and years, God used this man incredibly to speak truth to power and, and to call his people out and to call his people back to himself and did incredible things through his life. As Elijah's uh, mission and ministry is coming to an end, God tells him, listen, I'm going to hand over your prophetic role and responsibilities in Israel to a man I have chosen. A successor by the name of Elisha. 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 Uh, Elisha, uh, his name means my God saves. Which I think is a pretty cool name if you ask me or if you're in the market for names at the moment. Uh, Elisha was uh, an Israelite uh, from a pretty wealthy farming family and uh, he himself was a professional farmer. He farmed for a living as a farmer. But at some point in Elisha's life, God had called him to be a part-time prophet uh, in fact, this will make sense as we get to know the story uh, a little bit. He calls Elisha to be a part-time prophet, and Elisha actually becomes a part of about 50 prophets in his area, um, a band of prophets they were referred to. And these guys were kind of like local spiritual uh, consultants. If you wanted to know what God was saying, you would reach out to this local band of part-time lay prophets and you would ask them to ask God and God would deliver messages through this group. They were his messengers, God's mediums to local communities. Okay, so one day this guy named Elisha a volunteer prophet is at his day job. He is uh, plowing in a field with 24 oxen, 12 pairs, and he is uh, manning the last two pairs um, at the back of this row. When out of nowhere, Elijah, remember him, the chief prophet in Israel, he shows up and he just takes off his cloak and throws it on Elisha. At that point, no words needed to be exchanged because Elisha knew exactly who Elijah the goat was. Um, everybody knew who he was, especially the minor league prophets in that particular area. No words were exchanged because Elisha definitely also understood what this gesture meant. And he would have been blown away by it. This gesture of 
cloak throwing um, on each other would have been like a king taking off his crown and putting it on someone else's head. And then taking his scepter and handing it over. Elisha knew exactly what was going on. The robe would have been the prophetic responsibility and ability of Elijah now being handed to Elisha in the middle of a farming field. Of all of the prophets in all of the world, Elisha would have understood that God has chosen me to take over the role and responsibility of the greatest prophet ever in the land of Israel. Anyway, Elisha gets this and he is all in immediately. In fact, this is a little bit morbid, but he immediately kills all 24 of his oxen. And he cooks up the meat and he throws a massive party in his community and he gives the meat away. And then he takes the yoke, the wooden yoke from his oxen, the last two, and he burns that thing, says goodbye to everybody. And he starts to follow Elijah as his apprentice, committed to serving and learning from Elijah wherever he went and doing whatever Elijah needed. And so for six years, these two guys journeyed together as the role of prophet in Israel was being transferred from Elijah down to Elisha. And when we join the story, here's what's happened. God has revealed to Elijah And to all the prophets in the entire nation that he is going to take the chief prophet Elijah away in a very unusual way very soon. So everybody knows Elijah is about to go and be with God. And that is all the buzz. And Elisha is about to take over. All right. Now, if you have a copy of the Bible, we're going to start 2 Corinthians chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. You can turn to 2 Corinthians, but uh, that'll be a little bit confusing. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, the verses will be up here on the screen and you can follow along that way. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 1. All right, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Okay, time out. Are you kidding? How awesome is this, first of all, right? right? That after his, his, his mission um, is over, God decides that the great Elijah is not going to die. He is going to get picked up in a holy whirlwind and is going to transport him to heaven that way. One of only two individuals in the Bible who would never taste death. Elijah. And in verse number one, when we enter the story, uh, Elijah is in a conversation with God trying to figure out the pickup spot for his whirlwind Uber to go up to heaven. And so Elijah tells Elisha, um, all right, listen, man, uh, yeah, I just got word from God that uh, sounds like he's going to send the stretch whirlwind uh, to 
Bethel, uh, not Gilgal, as we originally thought. So there's no point in you walking this eight-mile journey with me. Why don't you stay here? Let's hug it out, and then I'll see you on the other side, and you crush it for the rest of your life. Second part of verse 2. But Elisha said, nope. As surely as the Lord lives, and as surely as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went together to Bethel. I know my calling. And so as long as you are alive, I want to serve you. And as long as you're alive, there is something I can learn from you. So thanks, but no thanks. We're going to Bethel together. Uh, when they get to Bethel, uh, they are met by one of those local bands of prophets who have clearly never taken any sensitivity classes. Check this out, verse 3. Uh, the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked him, uh, Do you know uh, that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And we start to learn a little bit about Elisha's character. Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. <laughs> I like, shut it. If you know, then I know. And you know I know. So shush. And you guys know how much I'm struggling with losing my mentor and losing my master. So stop rubbing it in. Verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. Elisha, I just got word. Our Lord has sent me to Jericho. And again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went together to Jericho. This starts to get amusing. Like, I'm sorry, man. Okay, listen, uh, Elisha, I'm just the passenger here. But it sounds like God's moved the pickup spot again. So for real this time, just hang here. Just hang here with your fun prophet friends, and just let me go to Jericho alone. alone. And again, Elisha's like, nope, nice try. Um, and they headed 12-mile walk southeast to Jericho. And then you start to almost get the sense that these bands of prophets in these communities are kind of a little bit salty and a little bit you know, jealous of the fact that Elisha is the chosen one Verse number five, the company of prophets at Jericho, they went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Verse six, then Elijah said to him, okay, man, this is awkward, I know, stay here. Uh, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. And again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Okay, now, I can't help but wonder if God isn't testing Elisha with these three exhausting relocations of the meetup 
spot. I cannot help but wonder if God isn't testing Elisha. Hang on a second. You say you understand your calling. You say you've embraced your calling. You say you're all in on this assignment. What if it gets inconvenient though? Are you going to stick it out? What if it starts to get uncomfortable and awkward and there are no answers to the questions you have and it doesn't make sense anymore? Are you just going to continue to serve Elijah? Are you going to continue to learn from this man? What if it seems like I keep changing my mind, Elijah? Are you going to continue to serve? Verse number seven. 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance. Sounds like the same guys from Jericho uh, may have trailed them. It's not particularly clear. Facing uh, the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan River. Verse 8. Man. Elijah took his cloak. Same one that he had thrown on Elisha. He rolled it up and he struck the river with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of these prophets crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Okay, this is why I personally think God has been testing Elisha for this moment right here. Will you stick around through the challenging seasons of my calling on your life to get to the experience I want you to have? This is amazing because when they finally get to the destination of Elijah's departure, Elisha gets the question of his life. Elijah asks Elisha, what is the one thing I can do for you before I take off? Wow. I'm reading this and I'm like, I see it because if Elisha, had agreed to take the convenient out at Gilgal, he would not be standing on the other side of a split river in this epic moment right here. This defining moment for his ministry right here. If Elijah had decided that the taunting of these prophets was too difficult for him to keep serving His God and his master, Elisha, like he had been called to, he would not have gotten to the good part. It is fascinating. God gave Elisha some really interesting obstacles along his path. And with each obstacle, God gave Elisha an out. To see if he would keep serving in his calling in the midst of discomfort. And if he had, he would not have been standing in this moment. And this just struck me again about how I just think we quit way too soon. 
In a culture that worships comfort and convenience, we actually tend to assume that the goal is to get out of anything challenging, to get out of anything um, inconvenient, to get out of anything confusing. In fact, any opportunity that gets us out of something difficult must be a blessing from God. When you read the Bible, you realize, no, sometimes it's God asking the question, will you keep doing the thing I called you to, even when it gets uncomfortable and deeply inconvenient? When Warsaw just no longer feels like the hippest place to live on earth. And Elijah's like, behold, beaches and mountains, if you just head out right now. When the foster system makes life very, very difficult, but you know God has said, keep your home open. Keep your home open. There will be opportunities for you to say, we are done. And oftentimes what may seem like an opportunity and a relief and a blessing from God may be the question, are you willing to stick in the last thing God called you to even when it gets really challenging? When Elijah says to you, you don't have to keep being generous because financially I realize that you guys are having a few challenges. Other people can do it. Yeah, but God's word has called me to. Will you keep doing, right? When the marriage feels like we've already tried this six mile walk. And then somebody said, well, why don't you guys try this eight mile walk? And we tried that and we got to that spot and it felt like God was saying recalculating route. And I'm just telling you that seemed, and all the people around me were telling me this is a great out for you. Question is, do, do, do I persist in these challenging seasons When there is an out from something I know God has called me to. You know you've been called to care for that ailing relative. But they're inviting you to an all expense paid spring break though. You know he's called you to purity. And your 50 little friends on Instagram are yelling, hey, you know no one's a virgin in college anymore, right? I mean, just, just, God might be providing an out right here. I'm just telling you, sometimes a convenient out is just a holy opportunity in disguise. Don't quit on what you know God has called you to too soon. He may be taking you across the Jordan. In fact, I guarantee he's taking you across the Jordan. How do you know? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through challenging seasons of all kinds. Why? Because God is always working something much better at the end of the story than whatever you would have enjoyed by escaping in that particular moment. But anyway, we're not talking about you. We're talking about Elisha. So let's get back to that, right? So after six years of faithfully serving and after almost 30 miles of uncomfortably walking in one day, 
Elisha crosses the river on dry ground and he stands on the verge of all heaven breaking loose on his head in one simple question. What can I do for you before I go? I'm always so fascinated by questions like this. I'm so fascinated because it it just occurs to me that most of us, if you're anything like me, we are not ready for a question like this. We are not. If heaven stood on the edge of your Jordan and asked you, make one request, I don't think I'm ready. I don't, I'm not quite. Elisha doesn't need to phone a friend. He knows exactly what he wants. Second part of verse 9, he says, let me, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He replied. Wow, bold. You heard me. This gift you have, this anointing you have, this this mantle that you carry. This power you have, this, this calling on your life, this impact, these miracles that I've seen in you. I'll take two helpings, please, and thank you very much. Woo, that's bold, man. Now, there is some argument which frankly doesn't make any lick of difference to me personally. But the question is, is Elisha asking for twice as much as Elijah had? Or is Elisha asking for twice as much as an apprentice like him would typically get from his master? You can talk about that in your small groups. The point remains, this dude was hungry to take the mission that God called him to and light up the world. What a request. I want to do great things in God's name and so I want two helpings of whatever you had so I can accomplish those things. Because over the six years, the thing I've noticed is I can mimic and imitate the different things that you do. I can say the things that you've said. I can sound like you sound, but the impact came through a power that you do not. I want twice the power that you have. Thank you very much. I want to turn this world upside down for the sake of my God. Nothing against what you did, Elijah. You're still the goat. But I want to see greater things, says Elisha. Come on now. We're getting to know Elisha. He had no interest in not looking at porn. He had no interest in trying to drink a little less. He had no interest in cutting down on on his swearing and, and upping his devotional time by five minutes a week. No interest in figuring out that delicate life, work, church, family balance. Nothing wrong with those ambitions, but Elisha was different. He was the guy who understood work-life balance family is great, but it doesn't break the devil's back. I want to do damage to the kingdom of darkness and great things 
for the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to get out of here, you know, alive and unscathed. I'm not trying to take the fewest risks possible. And I'm just trying not to make a lot of mistakes in my life. That was not Elisha. I'm just trying to cut down on all the bad things that I do. Elijah, would you just help me quit doing this thing that I'm struggling? He was beyond that. He wanted great things for a great God. And so he made a great request in Elijah's presence. I'm trying to bring heaven down to earth. I'm trying to see the nation come back to its God. And for that, I'll take two scoops in a chocolate covered waffle cone, please. And I'm telling you, through this series, Elisha will invite us beyond wanting to be nice people who do a few less bad things. And into a hunger to see God do great things in us and through us. Because right now, if you poll the church, our appetite, I'm telling you, I suspect our prayer requests are for God to fix certain boo-boos and owies on us. Matter of fact, if we stood on the Jordan River and we were honest and we had the opportunity for anything, many of us would ask, would you get me out of something really, really difficult and get me into something really, really comfortable? What could get more for my empire and remove all of my owies? Come on. What would you have asked for? If not for something that would make your life a little more comfortable. And I pray that through this series we would develop a hunger to see greater things for God. Than the people who came before us. I pray through this series we will want to leave this world a little messier than the people before us. And maybe we'll get a little bit tired of reading everyone else's autobiographies and the great things that they did for God. That we would be far too discontent to be cool by association with great people. Come on, man, we're still talking about, do you know that Billy Sunday and Billy Graham walked these here streets in Warsaw? That's our contribution to the kingdom. Thank you. Or, do you know who I followed recently on Instagram? A superhero, a prophet. And um, they are saying some really cool things. Have you heard what's happening over there with those people? And we are just this constant audience of all the great things God did. At some point in our past, Elisha's like, nope. I want twice as much of whatever Billy Graham had. So we can do greater things for our God in the days ahead. This request is powerful. Verse number 10. You have asked a difficult thing. (laughs) I like that. I like that. I don't think anyone would say that to me. Conda, you've asked a very manageable thing. Yes. That's an easy. I mean, when was the last time you made a request that was like, hmm, that's a big one. Elijah said, yet, if you see me 
When I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Another reminder, don't quit too soon. The only way Elisha gets what he longed for was if he was with Elijah when he was Ubered up. And three times he had the opportunity to bail out. I'm just telling you, don't quit just because things got hard in the area of your calling. Keep serving. Keep forgiving. Even through taunts, keep giving. Keep letting your teens live. 2 Corinthians, 2 Kings, I'm going to keep saying Corinthians, verse 11 says, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Because God is always better than you think. Because when I read this, I was like a whirlwind. That's cute. God, I don't see how a little swirling little leaves are going to haul this man up to glory yonder. The picture I had. And yet here it is. God sent a horse and chariot of fire and then a whirlwind that must have been absolutely glorious. Spun the goat up to heaven and somehow didn't even burn him. Again, one of only two people to not experience death. Verse 12, Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his garment and he tore it. Into. I love this by the way. Elisha was not greedy. He wasn't grabby. He was hungry, right? Because I'd think that when Elijah finally left, Elisha would be fist pumping, like, my time! It's my time now, right? Good riddance, but he was heartbroken that his mentor and friend was gone. Tenacious, yes, as we'll see, but tender. For sure. Verse 13. Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak. Same cloak. That has starred in this story. That had fallen from him. And he went back. And stood on the bank of the Jordan. Verse 14. He took the cloak. That had fallen from Elijah. And struck the water with it. Where now. Is the Lord the God of Elijah? He asked. This is a powerful moment. Stands at the edge of the river and he asks, God, are you really going to come through for me like you did for Elijah? Are you really going to come through for me like you said you would? Second part of the verse, when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed 
over. I love this moment. Oh, yeah. It is so on. Watch out, world. Watch out, devil. Here he comes. Crosses the river on dry ground and walks into his mission. Verse 15. The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed down on the ground before him. Look, they said, we are your servants and we have 50 able men. Let them go look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find Elijah. Verse 18. When they returned to Elisha who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? This, by the way, reminded me of what we, we so often do when we chase the past and, and we chase the, the celebrities and we chase the, the autobiographies of, of the greats, right? And Elisha's like, don't do it, man. That time is over. He's gone. You're wasting your time. And I wonder what areas of our lives God might be whispering to some of us. It's done. Let it go. It's time for what I'm doing next. I wonder if for some of us, God wouldn't be saying the same thing. Like, it's, it's time to move on. Grieve, yes. Elisha grieved. But stop searching for a way to go back and try again. Let's move forward and change the world. Which is exactly what Elisha does, as we'll see. In the coming weeks. I cannot wait to get to know. This incredible man. And his incredible God. Oh. It was also really fascinating. uh, to, to, To read this story. Because. I don't know if it reminded you of anything else um i read this story and it so reminded me of us it reminded me of the church in fact it reminded me of this scene uh, about two thousand years ago when uh the goat of all goats the goat of creation jesus christ stood on top of a mountain And in full view of his followers, the soon-to-be church. Remember this? Jesus took off and went back to heaven. And when he did, do you remember this? He sent down a cloak of fire that rested on the heads of his followers. Why? To give them the power and ability that he had. So that they could continue the mission and ministry that he had of turning the world upside down. And it's fascinating beyond that. Jesus at one point said, let me just read it. Look at this. John chapter 14 verse 12. This might mess you up. Very truly I tell you. 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying, I have given you a double portion. You are going to be able to do more than I did in this world. The question is, are we going to be like the 50 prophets who I believe had available to them some of the same things Elijah had available to them, but they're just content to stand at a distance running commentary. Hey, Elijah, have you heard? We were just reading theologically. We just discovered that Jesus said, did you know this? And they're just chasing at a distance. Hey, maybe we can go looking for that celebrity hero. And Elijah's like, don't do it. Y'all should be asking to join in this work. Let's change the world. And in this series, I hope we will realize, man, the spirit of Elisha is a spirit on the church. To see a nation come back to God, to see a world turned upside down. While I think we're often too content with a tame version of everything we've been called to. Father, I pray that you would do something astonishing in us, that you would stir a fresh hunger in us for you, a fresh hunger for what you're calling us to, a fresh hunger to impact the world around us. An audacity to ask you to do great things in keeping with a resurrected Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand together and let's sing.